welcome to the Transform Physiques podcast. I am your host, Coach Steve Bell. I've spent over a decade in the fitness industry and have transformed the physiques and lives of hundreds of individuals. My passion for public speaking and educating others has led me to release this podcast. Over the coming episodes, I will speak about training, nutrition, mindset, and anything else encompassing physique development. Stay tuned and let's get started. So welcome back. It is episode seven um, of the Transform Physiques podcast. Today, we are going to talk about, the main topic is going to be about resistance training variables, um, how they sort of interact with each other and how they can kind of dictate each other in a way. Considerations we have to make around them when thinking about program design. And then we'll also touch on overreaching and overtraining very briefly. Um, as always, I'm going to try and keep it under 30 minutes. Um, but before we get started, I'm going to just touch on very briefly about my new business venture because I'm getting so many questions around what it is. Um, so I'm going to outline this here. Although I will do a full IGTV kind of explaining everything once everything's completely up and running, which will hopefully be by the end of today, which is Tuesday the 28th of September, time of recording, 10 a.m. Actually, not it's 10.54. So the new business venture is a clinic, is what I'm going to be open. So we're going to be able to be offering uh, intra intravenous and intramuscular vitamin infusions, um, blood analysis, urinalysis, um, sort of analysis of nutrient deficiencies, um, complete blood work, you know, for people that potentially use anabolics or people that generally just want their bloods doing to see if there's anything amiss. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a full service I've partnered with a lab um, in London that will be obviously analysing the bloods for me um, and then I'll be delivering the results back to clientele. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting this up and running. Um, it's one of them things that it's very big in America, very big in London, particularly like the vitamin infusions. Um, and it's not something that's huge, especially not up in the north. And if, if you know where I'm from in Barrow and Furnace, everything kind of comes to Barrow about 20 years after it comes to everywhere else. So I'm probably a little bit ahead of time here. Um, but yeah, I will be offering this service nationwide um, as I'll be doing it in a mobile a mobile unit, which is exciting. And I'll be, I'll be positioning myself in various gyms around the country multiple days per month. Um, I'm just kind of partnering up with gyms at the moment. So very exciting, very much looking forward to doing it um, and obviously getting up and running for people. So anyway, into the main topic. Resistance training variables. So there's three that we need to consider. Volume, intensity, and frequency. Now, the volume is the total amount, total amount of work performed. So we can quantify this by sets times reps times weight. That would give us an overall volume. Um, now, we can look at volume per exercise. We can look at it per workout. We can look at it per week. Um, and we can quantify it in them different measures. So when we look at it per exercise, it will be say, let's for example, say you're doing a bench press and you do 10 sets um, of 10 reps at 100 kilo, it will be 10 times 10 times 100. And that would be that exercise volume. Let's say you did it per workout, you would do all the different exercises that you're doing, all the different movements, times the reps, times weight, times sets, across their movements, um, and that will be your overall workout volume and then again you do the same thing per week you could plus all of the 
workout volumes together and that would give you your overall volume per week. Now, in terms of looking at the literature and what science suggests in terms of volume, we would say that volume is a primary driver of hypertrophy, presuming intensity is at an appropriate range given your training experience. Now, obviously, there's multiple caveats to consider here. I'm not going to go into them all because the podcast will be about three days long, but I'm just going to briefly touch on um, the, the three variables and considerations. So what we almost also need to consider when looking at volume is the dose-response relationship with volume and hypertrophic responses, so muscle growth. And it's kind of in an inverted U. So as you can imagine, we can kind of say that as volume increases, so does the response in terms of muscle hypertrophy, muscle growth. But this will only happen to a certain point whereby after that point, any additional volume is potentially detrimental to physique development in terms of muscle growth. So when we say an inverted U, if you imagine the letter U upside down, now you're traveling up and up and up and up and up until you get to a point, and then you're coming back down. Um, and that is how volume can be equated. So when we look at, as we increase volume, muscle hypertrophic response will increase to a certain point, and then it will drop off and start becoming a negative. So you might be thinking, well, you know, what is this amount? How, how do we know when we're doing too much volume or too little volume? Now, when we look at the recommendations in the literature, we can say around about 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week um, would be an appropriate kind of dose of volume. Now, we need to be aware of exercises that cross over into different movements. So let's say, for example, we're doing a chest press that is going to hit the delt and the tricep as well as the chest. So you need to be aware when looking at overall volumes of exercises that there is crossover, which is essentially any compound movement. You know, if you're doing a leg press, you are going to stimulate the hamstrings and the glutes to a point as well, depending on foot position. Same with a squat. It's not just a quad movement. It involves other um, muscles as well. Now, again, when we look at volume and we look at, this inverted U response as volume increases, so does muscle hypertrophy. We can actually program this and periodize this across a mesocycle. So a mesocycle is just a training cycle, a block of training. Now, if volume is a driver of hypertrophy and we need to apply progressive overload, then it would make sense that as we progress across a training mesocycle, we also increase volume. Now, we need to be aware that we only increase this to the point of where we can still recover. Remember, progressive overload can come in so many different forms and volume is a very appropriate way of applying that progressive uh, stimulus to cause adaptation. Now, let's move on to intensity. So the intensity is essentially the effort. It can be also deemed like the proximity to failure. So this is usually measured on a per set basis. So how close to failure was that set? Now, we can quantify this. We're using an RPE scale, which is rate of perceived exertion, which is 0 to 10, 10 being all-out complete failure, absolute maximum effort, 0 being pretty much nothing at all. This all co also kind of correlates with RIR, which is reps in reserve, which is, um, I think this was brought about by Mike Isretel, um, who's got a PhD in exercise physiology, 
really good podcasts that he's on. He's always on Revive Stronger podcast and he puts a lot of content out on YouTube. Very clever man. Um, so I'd check out his stuff if you don't know who he is. So when we look at reps and reserve, we're saying, let's say, for example, we say three RIR. That is three reps in reserve. So that is three reps away from failure. If we were at zero RIR, that would be that would be no reps left in the tank. We are at failure at that point. Now, when we look at the scientific literature and we say, well, how hard do we need to be training? What intensity do we need to be applying to resistance training protocols, to calls, adaptation? We think around about three to zero RIR is appropriate to maximize these adaptations. Now, again, remember what I said about volume. We can periodize this across a mesocycle so that we increase intensity as we progress. Now, this is going to take uh, um, uh, gains in progressive overload. This is another way of causing progressive overload. Now, what we need to consider here is that when someone says that they train to failure, they probably don't. Now, bear with me with this, because if you're a client of mine, you're thinking, well, Steve, you always tell me to train to failure, but now you're saying I can stay three reps shy of failure and still cause enough stimulus to create adaptation. Now, that is absolutely correct based on the fact you truly know where actual failure is. Now, this is very, very rare. If you're, if you're someone that's been training under five years, I would say you probably don't know how to reach true muscular failure across certain movements. Some you will, some a bit more difficult. Now, I'd say 95% of people who go to the gym and resistance train don't know what true muscular failure is. It is it, it's a skill. You have to learn to be able to take a set truly to failure. You'll see a lot of people say, yeah, I trained to failure. No one really does because failure is like you can't get back up. So let's say, for example, you go down on a squat and then you literally can't get up at the bottom. You'll have crushed under the weight. That's true failure. Um, or you lower a bench press to your chest and you can't get it back up. You're generally, you know, you're crushed by the weight. That is what true failure is. So no one really trains to true failure. Um, now, if you're there with a the spotter and the spotter helps you do that last rep, you've gone to failure because then the spotter's obviously helped you. So the reason why we need to be careful when prescribing RIR or RPE is because it's very difficult for people to take that and apply it in um, in practice unless you're a very advanced resistance training per, uh, person that's been resistance training for a very long time. Uh, just by way of example of this, and actually the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because I was having a discussion with a lad in the gym and he was saying to me, I've been doing the same split for ages. I just do like four sets of 10 to failure on each exercise and this is what I do. And I said, okay, so you've got various things that you can manipulate which are these resistance training variables so i had a brief discussion with with this gentleman in the gym around volume intensity and frequency and how we can manipulate them based off of goals and provide a new stimulus etc and he was saying i do four sets of 10 to failure and i say okay well i'll spot you on um a set of hack squat he said okay great i said how many do you think you're going to be at complete failure do you think it's 10 he said i'll probably get 12 with you stood there kind of spotting and encouraging, you know. So I said, okay, let's go for it then. So he did the set of hack squat and he got 17 reps. And it wasn't complete failure because I didn't really touch the last one. He didn't get stuck at the bottom. It was just 17 and he was he was pretty much done. So we could say it's probably one or zero RIR. Whereas if I hadn't have spotted that set and I've, I'd have just told this guy, okay, mate, 
I want you to train three reps in reserve and he thought 10 reps was um, failure, he would have stopped at seven. When in reality, <clears throat> he's gone to 17. So he's potentially 10 reps shy of being able to cause any adaptation whatsoever. So just bear in mind that when I'm saying things like RIR, it's very difficult to gauge this. Unless you're very advanced, it's, it's hard to gauge that and you potentially don't need to consider it. You just need to ensure that you are training hard and taking it somewhere near failure. Okay, moving on to frequency. Don't worry, I'm gonna tie this all together and how each variable affects the other shortly. But frequency is how often we train. So we could consider this as in per workout. So how many workouts per week do we do? What's the frequency of our training split? We can also consider this in a per muscle group fashion. So how, how frequently are we training each muscle group? So let's just say, for example, you do um, an upper-lower split, you do upper-lower rest, upper-lower rest, and you continue like that. Now, that would obviously be hitting every body part twice, a little bit more than twice a week, technically, because it's over six days. But you may do abs every single day. So there, the frequency of abs is much higher than everywhere else, for example. Or let's say, for example, you do a typical bro split, so you do like chest on a Monday, back on a Tuesday, legs on a Wednesday, etc etc but you might throw some biceps in every other day so therefore your training frequency is once a week per muscle group even though you're going to hit some of the muscle groups across different movements and but you're going to do biceps every other day so the frequency of biceps is higher now when we look at all three of these variables these are all things that we need to change in accordance with the other one so let's say, for example, you wanted to do a high amount of volume. You wanted to do, I don't know, 30 sets in a workout as an extreme example. If you were to do 30 sets in a workout, your intensity or proximity to failure couldn't be very high because you would simply not be able to achieve that. It's unrealistic to think you could do 30 sets to all out failure or close to. You would have to reduce your intensity to, to allow for the increased volume. Again, bringing that back to frequency, if you were to train with a really high volume, a moderately high intensity with 30 sets, your frequency before you can do that session again, your frequency wouldn't be very often because you couldn't train that session and then go in and do it two days later. So frequency would have to drop if you're applying a really high volume. Now, you'll hear a lot of people discussing like high volume versus high intensity, like which is better. And to be honest, there's no real true answer to this, but we can say there's, you know, there's an appropriate range of volume that we need to cause a stimulus to create adaptation. And there's also appropriate level of intensity. So like I suggested in, in the first instance, around about 10 to 20 sets per muscle group. Again, you have to gauge this off your recovery capabilities. You also have to gauge it off your intensity. How close to failure are you going on them sets? You also need to gauge it off your frequency. If you're on a full body split, so you're doing full body every other day, you can't go in and apply a ridiculous amount of volume or a ridiculous amount of volume and intensity every other day. It's just not possible to recover from that. So the key when you're setting up program design, you're considering these three variables. 
you have to look at recovery capabilities. Now, this is why we can't really prescribe a set amount of volume, a set intensity, and a set frequency across the board is because it comes down to your recovery capabilities. And for every single person, that is going to be very different. You're going to get some people, and we'll all know these people, that can go in and they could hit full body every day for 16 weeks on end, and they never took a deload, and they just get awesome results. And they never get ill. They never get overtrained, which I'll touch on shortly. And they just get great results. These people have got a ridiculously high work capacity, and that's what their genetics allow for. You're going to get some of the people that do a full body workout, and they're taking three days to recover from it. So in that instance, that setup, that program design probably isn't right for that person. So I will do another podcast on specifically program design, but this is kind of just touching the the, the training variables and, and why they matter. So hopefully I'll give a decent overview of the three resistance training variables there. Volume, the total amount, total amount of work performed can be calculated by sets times reps times weight. Intensity is our proximity to failure. How close to failure are we going during our sets? And the frequency is how often we're training, whether that be per workout or per muscle group. Now, I realized that was quite a, a quick overview. Um, like I say, I like to keep this podcast reasonably short, but that at least outlines these variables. And now when I do my podcast on um, program design, you will understand them variables already and they will make sense when I talk about how to design programs specifically. Um, so I hope you've took a decent amount of information from that. I just want to touch around periodization a little bit more because that kind of plays into program design as well. And it's good if you can have this knowledge already in your head when I talk about program design. So periodization means specific blocks up specific microcycles within a mesocycle where we apply different types of training, so to speak. So let's say, as we do with nutrition, people periodize nutrition all the time. So let's say people eat a lower amount of food during the week so they can eat more on a weekend. That is periodizing nutrition. If we also look at it, say someone's in a contest prep and they want to prioritize carbohydrates around the training window. That is also nutritional periodization. Now, when it comes to training, you, it's very rare that you see this done in a periodized approach. Now, if you're someone, again, that's in your first three three years of training, definitely, maybe even your first five, you probably don't really need to periodize training unless you've kind of developed very fast. When we look at periodization across mesocycles, which is a training cycle, we can look at increasing these variables to drive further adaptation, to create a progressive overload um, stimulus. So we know in terms of progressive overload, we have to continually do more work over time to create further adaptations, to create more muscle mass. Now, we can't just increase volume in a linear fashion forever because obviously that's ridiculous. And the same with intensity, we can't just create them in a linear fashion forever. So the way in which we set those up is we might periodize the first block of training of four weeks followed by a deload uh, as a given volume and given intensity. The following four weeks might be <clears throat> a slightly higher volume, following four weeks a slightly higher volume again. So that's what periodization is. It's just simply changing something within that training cycle to provide a newer stimulus. Again, when I come to program design, I will go more in depth around periodization 
macro cycles, meso cycles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But hopefully that gives you a very brief introduction of of, of what that is. <clears throat> okay, so this was come up in a question on my Instagram, and I thought I'll just touch it on a podcast so I can do a little bit more of a ramble on it, as opposed to just a quick story on um, on the Instagram stories when people put the question boxes in. So overreaching and overtraining, uh, and what's the difference? So overreaching is a positive thing it's a good thing we want to overreach to a certain point to cause adaptation so this can be called functional overreaching and we apply this on purpose we want this to happen so we can create that adaptation now we can only overreach for a period of time before we turns into non-functional overreaching which is where we haven't planned it and it's got a bit out of control and eventually leads to overtraining now functional overreaching which is the good kind could potentially be periodized like we've just spoke about at the end of a mesocycle just before a deload to allow that adaptation to take place now non-functional overreaching would be if we were functionally overreaching at the end of a mesocycle then we didn't deload we just carried on trying to progress and progress and progress forever and eventually we become non-functionally overreached which is bad, not too difficult to come back from, sometimes may take anywhere between like maybe a week to three weeks to sort of regain everything back. From a physiological standpoint, uh, you'll find that you'll become demotivated, sleep will be a little bit compromised, um, and that's kind of the non-functional overreaching signs that we'd see before we're in an overtrained state. Now, if we go to functional overreaching, great, we go into non-functional, uh, things are getting a little bit bad here, we don't want it to carry on, but we continue training and don't take a deload, we don't take that rest. We become in an overtrained state. Now, true overtraining can take up to even six months to come back from. You'll look at it in the literature, it's, <clears throat> it's a bad place to be in. And this is what happens if you don't structure proper mesocycles with proper deloads, with proper off time. Um, you, you can't just train at a ridiculously high intensity, high volume, you know, drill yourself into the floor forever because that will never end well. You have to take these deals. You have to take this downtime to allow these adaptations to occur. Now, when you're in an overtrained state, you would find that sleep would be compromised. You would be terrible sleeping, a real loss of performance. Uh, you, the, the lifts that you perform in the gym would be so much less. Um, a loss of libido which is very common in people that are overtrained, a loss of motivation and loss of passion. Now, this is one of the main, main signs of, of overtraining. Let's say you're someone, for example, like me, and you've trained since, I don't know, you're 16 years old. Some I just love training, um, specifically resistance training, but any kind of training. Like if I couldn't resistance train, I would probably do like triathlons or something. It'd be anything that's gonna challenge physically. Now, if I was to get to a point of overtraining, and I couldn't be bothered to weight train. I couldn't be bothered to go out and do a bit of cardio. Like if them things become something I didn't want to do, I would know that I am overtrained because for over a decade, I have loved training. So there has been periods of time in my life where I have been slightly overtrained and I've lost passion for things a tiny bit, um, but it usually comes back. I, I identify that because I know what overtraining is and I can come back from it, but it does take a while sometimes. So. I'm just outlining kind of overreaching and overtraining for what it is and a little bit of the signs and symptoms that we can see coming 
um, within them. So when we look at training, um, what training does provide is a stimulus and fatigue. These things both build up at pretty much the same rate, providing our training um, structure is right. So that's why we have to build up your stimulus, build up fatigue, and then the deload allows us to drop the fatigue. It drops the stimulus a little bit, but causes adaptation, which is the change. And then we start a new mesocycle again, feeling fully fresh after we've dropped fatigue. <clears throat> okay, so I know that was probably a load of information in a reasonably short period of time. I think around about 25 minutes, I don't know. For some reason, this doesn't even have a timer on the... Uh, on the recording software that I'm using. So I think that is it for today. I hope that's provided at least a brief outline around what resistance training variables are, how they kind of interact with each other, how we can lead to overreach and overtraining and what they mean and the symptoms of. Um, again, when you've listened to this podcast and you understand it, when I talk about program design in depth, you will understand exactly what I mean when I refer to these principles, when I talk about, right, let's increase frequency. Maybe we need to increase volume, reduce intensity for a period of time. Let's take a deload, let's periodize this. You now have some understanding of what these words mean and how we can apply these things. So I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I will do further podcasts around training in the near future so you can kind of have this fresh in your mind and then listen to program design as well. So. I hope you've enjoyed it. Any questions, please message me them on Instagram at coach underscore Stebel. And I'll be happy to respond. Um, maybe I'll put an IGTV together of a compiler list of questions and answer them that way. But yeah, thanks for listening. Any questions, shoot them over and I shall speak to you. So that is all for today's episode. Thank you for listening along. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at coach underscore Stebel. And I shall speak to you all soon.